today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to talk about uh, money well spent, or at least we hope it's going to be well spent. Uh, Canadian universities are spending billions and billions of dollars on research and development, but are they getting their money's worth? In other words, are they um, are they monetizing some of the great things that they're coming up with? Uh, the numbers indicate that that's not happening, especially on a national basis, and, uh, well, that's something to be concerned about. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Catherine McIntyre. Catherine is a feature writer for The Logic and uh, covers off uh, this piece uh, that she wrote for The Logic just a little while ago, and uh, we're pleased to get her out of the program today. Catherine, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thanks, Phil. Glad to be here. Well, we've had very, a discussion like this in, on our program in the past, variations on this theme anyway, uh, about monetizing uh, some of the innovations and the research that's gone on at, at some of these universities, uh, which I guess is supposed to be this, the ultimate goal, or is it really? Are universities looking that far ahead with the research that you've done here, Catherine, to understand that, that, that there needs to be some sort of monetization of, of, of the ideas and the concepts that they may be developing and, 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 and working toward? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a discussion we're having more and more lately, it seems, um, because, you know, what the goal of all of the research money that's going to universities, um, it, it's, it's, I guess, changing or it's different depending on who you ask, right? So mm-hmm. just to step back and give you some of the high-level findings that came out of this recent report from um, an organization called Autumn, um, they found that um, universities and research institutions in Canada spent about $4.5 billion on research in 2018, and they generated just less than $55 million in um, income from those innovations. Um, so, you know, if you look uh, at the surface, that seems like a really big gap in terms of money in and revenues generated, right? If you're looking at mm-hmm. this on a typical, as a typical return on investment. But, you know, lots of folks say that universities operate a little differently than just a, a typical business. Um, it's important to understand that, you know, they have a mandate primarily to uh, educate their students, first and foremost, and um, to do basic research. And now, you know, a lot of folks now are looking at these numbers and they're saying there, there should also be a mandate to generate economic returns from universities to try to kind of close this gap between investments into the schools for research and development and what they're actually putting on the market. Is, is that a relatively new uh, revelation, I guess, that maybe universities need to expand that, 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 that goal-setting idea, of, uh, including economic development? Because I know, and I know you referenced McMaster University in Hamilton here in the piece, and uh, we've had a number of discussions about some of the, the, the innovative ideas they've had there. And, and, and the shortfall they always thought was, well, we, we're not monetizing this. In other words, we're developing these mm-hmm. great ideas, a lot of it in medical research, uh, but mm-hmm. they, weren't, they weren't being able to, they couldn't sell it or they didn't try to or whatever. Uh, and, and that's got to be, I would think, part of the, 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 the goal here is to understand, okay, how can we make this, viable and profitable uh, from an economic development standpoint. And, and it's a relatively new, uh, mind, I, I would think, way of thinking at the university level anyway. Is that what you discovered? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely more energy being put into trying to solve this problem. Um, you know, the numbers I'm referencing in this story, they're, they're, two, they're from two years ago. So that's the most recent numbers that were available, but um, they're from 2018. And kind of around that time, we saw... Uh, government and um, interest groups in Canada um, really trying to push this idea of 
getting more income from this research. So, you know, in 2018, we saw the federal government commit $85 million to an intellectual property strategy. Um, and then just this past December, uh, with that money, they funded um, something called an innovation asset collective. So this is a four-year pilot project. And the way it works is this um, nonprofit organization will buy patents um, for Canadian companies to license and help them generate more intellectual property themselves through things like education and just funding it. Um, and, you know, we've also got provinces like Ontario, um, which uh, has said, again, this is in the past year, they said that they're going to revise the mandates of universities um, and research institutions to place more emphasis on turning publicly funded research into revenue generating pro products. Um, so we've got, you know, with that initiative, um, Jim Balsilli, former co-CEO of BlackBerry, mm -hmm. um, which has been, you know, very successful at pat patenting their intellectual property, that group is now meant to work with universities to create these mandates, like I was talking about, to create an IP curriculum and just improve literacy around intellectual property. We've got stuff happening in British Columbia as well on this too, just kind of in early stages. Catherine, what would happen before universities started to develop this mindset? I mean, did and, and it's just not, of course, the, the research and development is not new. They've been doing that for quite some time. And, and the amount of money, as you mentioned in the piece today, is, is, is staggering. And it's but I guess they looked at it as an investment. But in, previous to this kind of development that you've written about, uh, would those ideas be developed or these concepts be developed and, and the universities just wipe their hands and say, here, our work's done. Uh, now it's up to the private sector to, to do what they want with this. I, I would think if that's going to happen, a lot of these great ideas and concepts and developments would wither on the vine because there, there was no uptake. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends, right? So different universities have different policies around what happens um, with the research that comes out of these schools. So, um, it, yeah, in many cases, it is you know, the private sector might, um, it, that's kind of the best case scenario as an alternative is the private sector would um, take these innovations and license them themselves and generate uh, royalties mm -hmm. from them. Um, in many cases, you know, those are uh, private companies from outside of Canada. So that is also a concern because then you have all of this wealth leaving the country. Um, but you've got, you know, a school like the University of Waterloo, which um, entrepreneurs find very attractive because of their policy. And what they do is they say that, okay, you can do, we'll fund this research and development and any um, inventions that come of it, the intellectual property associated with that, the, the inventors themselves get to keep that. So with that school, we saw that their licensing income was quite low, um, even though, you know, they produce twice as many um, startups and any other university in Canada and um, spend a lot on R&D. So really, it's not, I guess, these numbers, when you look at what the school itself or the institution itself is generating in income, that doesn't necessarily tell the full picture of um, wealth that's being generated from um, research and development funding. 
We should probably maybe go down this road just a little bit, because uh, I know you touch on it in, in the piece, uh, why it's so important for universities to be able to do this. And, you know, when we talk about the amount of money that's going into research and development, uh, the $4.5 billion that you referenced uh, as, as the kind of the starting point here. Uh, we also know that a lot of money, uh, unless it's coming from the corporate world, is from from governments, and that's drying up. It's 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 not as much as it used to be in past years. Uh, and for universities to be sustainable, uh, it's almost as if they need to find a revenue source. And, and selling the intellectual properties that they develop there might be a best way for them to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we saw that you know government funding dropped a little bit to, uh, in the year we're looking at. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the University of Saskatchewan is a very good example of mm-hmm. how um, getting some of these royalties can really help sustain your income for years and years. So they topped the list this year in terms of um, most money generated from the research and development. Um, they topped the list um, pretty much every year, I think, at least for the past decade. Um, and so they, they generated $17 million in revenue. And that's, you know, out of the total 55 million that all universities generated. Um, and that was mostly from um, a vaccine for a virus that's found in pigs. And this was a, a discovery made in the mid 90s that the school has been collecting royalties on for years. So, yeah, it does kind of illustrate how um, if you're able to patent your, your intellectual property and license it and collect income on it, this can be a really sustainable way of, uh, you know, generating revenue for your institution. Yeah, and if they don't do that, of course, somebody else is going to actually benefit from that. And, and I use the example of McMaster uh, with this, a lot of the medical research they've done. I mean, robotic surgery, for instance, which is, you know, just commonplace almost now in, in surgeries or, or globally. Uh, a lot of the work was, for that was developed in Hamilton, McMaster University, but they, they didn't have that mindset at the time. So, of course, the corporate world took over and private sector world took over, and, and they're the ones that are reaping the benefits from this. And you know, I think they finally come to that realization that, uh, that wait a second here, we can own that property and we can be the beneficiaries of that financially. And uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad during the piece you brought up about the Innovation Asset Collective that uh, Mr. Balsley is heading. Uh, we've talked to Mr. Balsley back in the days when he was still with uh, BlackBerry and uh, and RIM, and, and they were encouraging that sort of thing at, at that university uh, to not just to, to, to dream and to, to develop these things, but to actually own them as well. And uh, we've seen how those universities have benefited from that. And by the way, you mentioned Saskatchewan, I guess, has been number one in this for the last little while. McMaster's up there, U of T, uh, UBC. So it's 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 obviously an idea that seems to be catching on with more universities now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, McMaster, um, I think they were third overall, and they actually had the most licenses. So they had 115 licenses, um, and the next was University of British Columbia with 85. So they're, they're doing pretty well. And um, so, yeah, again, to your point, it does kind of indicate that um, – you know, I think at least institutions and folks, governments, folks um, funding the research for these institutions are starting to talk more about how to really get the most out of um, what they're putting into them. One of the things that we've noticed, and I wonder if you've you've 
caught an inkling of this when you were doing the research for the piece uh, on, that's, uh, that's available for the folks, and I'll give them the location where they can find this in a second, Catherine, uh, is, is what I'm finding a lot of universities now are starting to partner up to share some of this information because they can see that there's a, an end game and could be a financial gain as a result of this. And uh, you look at McMaster or Waterloo, uh, 10 to 15 years ago, they almost looked at each other as competitors, uh, you know, for, for investment dollars, for research dollars, etc. cetera. Uh, I, I'm seeing that there's almost a, a collective now where they're working collaboratively in situations like this to develop. I mean, you know, the old idea that two heads are better than one or five are better than one, whatever the case might be. Uh, and, and I guess that is going to, they hope anyway, create uh, a stronger sense of, of belonging and maybe sharing of some of the, the money that can be developed from some of these ideas. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Um, in southern Ontario, uh, like you said, you've got um, kind of a, a medical tech um, mm-hmm. innovation hub kind of uh, bubbling up there, and that really is the product of collaboration between um, McMaster and the University of Waterloo, where you have you know the medical expertise at McMaster, and you have uh, a tradition of you know startups and tech innovation at the University of Waterloo. So, yeah, there are signs that that is kind of an effective way to approach this problem. Um, Also, a couple weeks ago, um, some top universities in the United States, I think it was a group of 15 of them, including Yale and Harvard, um, they got the okay from the government there to move ahead on creating their own kind of patent collective of sorts, which you know, will allow them to pull together all of their intellectual property. And the idea here is to create a sort of one-stop shop for startups or other companies that um, might want to come in and license these patents. And, you know, that could be for anything from, you know, autonomous vehicles or any other high-tech innovation. So, yeah, this this idea of working together to solve this problem um, is definitely uh you know, something that folks are thinking more about as well. Yeah, we're just about out of time here, but it's a fascinating topic. That's why I was so glad you could be able to join us today because we've seen that evolution happen at McMaster University in Hamilton where there's an innovation park and uh, and basically the, a, a pod there, you know, where they're attracting mm-hmm. angel investors and entrepreneurship, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's amazing how it just seems to, to mushroom from, from that one idea that, hey, uh, you know, there's, there's an opportunity here for us to monetize some of the great ideas that are coming out of here. And I'm seeing more and more universities starting to pick up on that too uh, if the folks want to read the piece and it is a great piece Catherine it's uh, it's in the logic I, I know it's a reprint in the in the financial post as well uh, they may want to go on, onto the web page and find that too but it's a, it's a great read thanks so much for the time today great talking with you thank you bill Take care. Catherine McIntyre, feature writer for The Logic, talking about some of the great innovative ideas that are happening at universities right across the country now and understanding that, uh, that, you know, there's some brilliant things coming out of those universities. And instead of just letting it drift out there into the ether, uh, those universities are owning that. And uh, there's a financial benefit to them for that, too. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.